Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Sages and Saints, Parshat Nassau contains the laws of the Nazarite, the individual who undertook to observe special rules of holiness and abstinence, not to drink wine or other intoxicants, including anything made from grapes, not to have his hair cut, and not to defile himself by contact with the dead. Such a state was usually undertaken for a limited period. The standard length was 30 days. There were exceptions, most famously Samson and Samuel, who, because of the miraculous nature of their birth, were consecrated before birth as Nazarites for life. What the Torah doesn't make clear, though, is, number one, why a person might wish to undertake this form of abstinence, and number two, whether it considers this choice to be commendable or merely permissible. On the one hand, the Torah calls the Nazarite holy to God. On the other, it requires him at the end of his period to bring a sin offering. This led to an ongoing disagreement between the rabbis in Mishnah, Talmudic and medieval times. According to Rabbi Eleazar and later to Nachmanides, the Nazarite is praiseworthy. He has voluntarily undertaken a higher level of holiness. The prophet Amos said, I raised up some of your sons for prophets and your young men for Nazarites, suggesting that the Nazarite, like the prophet, is a person especially close to God. The reason he had to bring a sin offering was that he was now returning to ordinary life. His sin lay in ceasing to be a Nazarite. Rabbi Eliezer HaKapah and Shmuel held the opposite opinion. For them, the sin lay in becoming a Nazarite in the first place, and thereby denying himself some of the pleasures of the world God created and declared good. Rabbi Eliezer added, from this we may infer that if one who denies himself the enjoyment of wine is called a sinner, all the more so someone who denies himself the enjoyment of other pleasures of life. Clearly the argument is not just textual, it's substantive. It's about asceticism, the life of self-denial. Almost every religion knows the phenomenon of people who in pursuit of spiritual purity, withdraw from the pleasures and temptations of the world. They live in caves, retreats, hermitages, monasteries. The Qumran sect, known to us through the Dead Sea Scrolls, may have been such a movement. In the Middle Ages, there were Jews who adopted similar kinds of self-denial, among them the Hasidic Ashkenaz, the pietists of Northern Europe, as well as Jews in Islamic lands. In retrospect, it's hard not to see in these patterns of behavior at least some influence from the non-Jewish environment. The ambivalence of Jews towards the life of self-denial may therefore lie in the suspicion that it entered Judaism from the outside, from Christianity or from Islam. They, the, there were ascetic movements in the first centuries of the Common Era, in both the West, namely in Greece, and in the East, in Iran, who saw the physical world as a place of corruption and strife. There were, in fact, dualists holding that the true God wasn't the creator of the universe. The physical world was the work of a lesser and evil deity. Therefore, God, the true God, isn't to be found in the physical world and its enjoyments, but rather in disengagement from them. 
And that was the view known as Gnosticism in the West and Manichism in the East. So at least some of the negative evaluation of the Nazarite may have been driven by a desire for, to discourage Jews from imitating these non-Jewish practices. Judaism strongly believes that God is to be found in the midst of the physical world that he created and that in the first chapter of Genesis he seven times pronounced good. It believes not in renouncing pleasure, but in sanctifying it. What's really puzzling, though, is the position of the Rambam, Maimonides, who holds both views, positive and negative, and does so in the same book, in the Mishnah Torah. In Hilchot Deot, early on in the Mishnah Torah, he adopts the negative position of Rabbi Eliezer HaKapah, this is what he says. A person may say desire, honor, and the like of bad paths to follow and remove a person from the world. Therefore, I will separate myself from them and go to the other extreme. As a result, he doesn't eat meat or drink wine or take a wife or live in a decent house or wear decent clothing. This is bad and it is forbidden to choose this way. So that's the negative view in Hilchot Deot. But in Hilchot Nazirut, he rules in accordance with the positive evaluation of Rabbi Elazar. Whoever vows to God to become a Nazarite by way of holiness does well and is praiseworthy. Indeed, Scripture considers him the equal of a prophet. Now, how does any writer adopt contradictory positions in a single book, let alone one as resolutely logical as Maimonides? The answer, I think, lies in a remarkable insight of Maimonides into the nature of the moral life. What he saw is that there is not a single model of the virtuous life. He identifies two. He calls them respectively the way of the saint, the chassid, and the way of the sage, the chacham. The saint is a person of extremes. Maimonides defines chesed as extreme behavior. Good behavior, to be sure, but conduct in excess of what strict justice requires. So, for instance, if you avoid haughtiness to the utmost extent and become exceedingly humble, then you are called a chassid, a saint. A saint is somebody who goes to extremes. A sage is a different kind of person altogether. He or she follows the golden mean, the middle way, the way of moderation and balance. They avoid the extremes of cowardice on the one hand, recklessness on the other, and thus acquire the virtue of courage. They avoid miserliness in one direction, prodigality in the other, and choose the middle way of generosity. The sage knows the twin dangers of too much and too little. He or she weighs the conflicting pressures and avoids the extremes. Now, these are not just two types of people, but two ways of understanding the moral life itself. Is the aim of the moral life to achieve personal perfection, to be the best one can be, or is it to create gracious relationships and a decent, just, compassionate society? The intuitive answer of most people would be to say both. What makes Maimonides so acute a thinker is he realizes you can't have both. They are, in fact, different enterprises. Consider this, a saint gives away all his money to the poor. But what then happens to the members of the saint's own family? They suffer because of his extreme self-denial. A saint may refuse to fight in battle, but what then happens to his country and its defence? 
A saint may forgive all the crimes committed against him, but then what about the rule of law and justice? Saints are supremely virtuous people considered as individuals, but you cannot build a society out of saints. In fact, saints aren't really interested in society. They've chosen a different, lonely, self-segregating path. I know of no other moral philosopher who makes this point as clearly as Maimonides. He really is the most insightful on this whole subject. It was this deep insight that led Maimonides to his seemingly contradictory evaluations of the Nazarite. The Nazarite has chosen, at least for a while, to adopt a life of extreme self-denial. He's a saint, a chosid. He's adopted the path of personal perfection, and that's noble, commendable, and exemplary. That's why Maimonides calls him praiseworthy and the equal of a prophet. But it is not the way of the sage. And you need sages, not saints, if you are to perfect society. The sage is not an extremist, because he or she realizes that there are other people at stake. There are the members of your own family, as well as the others in your own community. There are colleagues at work. There's a country to defend and a society to help build. The sage knows he or she cannot leave all these commitments behind to pursue a life of solitary virtue. In a strange way, saintliness is a form of self-indulgence. We are called on by God to live in the world, not escape from it. In society, not seclusion. To strive to create a balance among the conflicting pressures on us, not to focus on some while neglecting the others. Hence, while from a personal perspective the Nazarite is a saint, from a societal perspective he is, at least figuratively, a sinner who has to bring an atonement offering. Maimonides lived the life he preached. We know from his writings that he longed for seclusion. He longed to be a saint. And there were years when he worked day and night to write his commentary to the Mishnah and later the Mishnah Torah. Yet he also recognized his responsibilities to his family and to the community. In a famous letter to his would-be translator, Ibn Tibbon, he gives an account of his typical day and week in which he had to carry a double burden as a world-renowned physician and an internationally sought halachist and sage. He worked to exhaustion. Maimonides was a sage who longed to be a saint, but knew that he couldn't be if he was to honour his responsibilities to his people. That is a profound and moving judgment, and one that still has the power to inspire today. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org/ccfamilyedition. Thank you.